Yes, guys, you've heard me bring it up before. My most favorite John Keel quote, belief is the enemy. But what if you are a person who desperately wants to believe? Which, ironically, is also a quote used often by other people. But sometimes these two opposing philosophies are held by the same person who wants to believe, but just can't without the proof, which turns them into a very complicated, nuanced, and conflicted individual. Such is my guest today, Rick Belcher, who is one of the five million hosts of Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilry podcast. And also, he's the moderator of like five million other Facebook groups. So we sat down today to talk about belief. How prior, oftentimes negative experiences with religious belief can influence a person's view of and desire towards the paranormal. I am very thankful to Rick for opening up during this episode and sharing just what molds him into the individual he is, what attracts him to the world of the weird despite not really believing in it, yet he still holds this desire to be a part of and help out a community. But apart from belief itself, we also talk about ultra-terrestrials and our kinda share animosity towards the concept. Rick doesn't like them. I just like them, ironically. And a whole portion of the episode is also dedicated towards community building. How people who are left with a desire to believe even after previously bad experiences are still left with this need to bond over a shared interest and form communities within which they can influence each other in very transformative ways. Okay, so Rick, how does it feel to be on the other end of the interview table? I, I enjoy this. I, I like it. It's very, uh, it's relaxing to me just being here at your whim rather than uh -huh. controlling the conversation. So I'm, I'm cool with that. I've been asking actually you and Laura, like when, when are you going to have me on for your own show? I already was on with Trina for the uh, skeptics segment, right, right. but not for the creeps with peeps. And now I'm thinking I'm turning the tables on you. <laughs> You don't want to interview me, so I'm interviewing you, man. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, I I would love to have you on. I just don't know. It, I think we could almost do this as a crossover in a way. Is, huh. is kind of my my thought, but that's up to you. I don't care. Uh, we'll see where where this goes. <laughs> As I was telling you before clicking record, like I had some, you know, plans of what we're going to talk about. And then I had some other ideas pop up and what whatever we talk about is good enough. But what perplexes me about you, man, is that you, you are tenaciously a skeptic. You always bring up that you're a skeptic. You don't believe in this stuff. Right. But then you bring up that you want to believe in this stuff. Then you bring up, I don't believe in a Bigfoot, but I want Bigfoot to be real. And if Bigfoot is real, I want it to be a flesh and blood thing, but not supernatural. <laughs> So I'm like, wow, this is a very conflicted man, and I love conflict. <laughs> 
Oh, well, it, yeah, it's, it's obvious anybody who knows me that there's a lot of things going on with me that are that are conflicting. But with the paranormal, you know, me, me coming into it as a not a debunker, but a skeptic, I try to be respectful of people's beliefs. I try to be diplomatic in conversation. And I, I obviously want these things to be real. And I think that's part of and we'll I guess we'll get into this later. But, you know, growing up in a religious environment, in a super religious environment, you've got to have something to have faith in in a way. Not that I have faith in any of this, but I want to. Like, I'm desperately jealous of people that are believers in anything because I have to have something physical as evidence or, or, God forbid, proof before I even will, you know, believe mm -hmm. in anything at all. Well, I thought it was a very interesting thing to kind of explore what turns a person skeptical, especially a person who grew up in a religious household, mm -hmm. but not a skeptical debunker, but rather, <laughs> as you say, you're doing now a cryptid paranormal adjacent show. You are yeah. interviewing people who believe in this stuff and you're talking about this stuff all the time. You want Bigfoot to be real and you love Bigfoot, most of all, <laughs> but also you support the community. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, I, I know you, I think you had mentioned you were going to talk to um, Blake Smith from Monster Talk. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that happened or not, but Blake. It, it actually did happen. The whole episode was about uh, why skepticism of monsters is still relevant today. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if you talked to him already or not, but you know, yeah. like Blake is me in a way of 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, that very hardened skeptic. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that as a negative for him because it's not a negative for him, but debunking things outright or not even looking at the evidence, but just having a preconceived notion of actuality based on what you understand science to be. You know, mm -hmm. like there can't, there can't be a, an interdimensional portal hopping Bigfoot because science doesn't call for that or allow for that. That's why I'm a flesh and blood guy. You know, like I, I want, I want there to be, I want there to be something pointing to the actual physical existence of something. Okay. So you want something to be real, but in order for it to be real, it also needs to be material and tangible. So you want it to be tangible because if it is something supernatural, it is still technically not real. <laughs> In a way, and I know we've talked about this offline, like I philosophically, I understand that something can be real and not exist at the same time. Like the concept of Bigfoot means that Bigfoot is real. Mm -hmm. Do I necessarily think that Bigfoot exists? No, but that doesn't change the existence in another form. You know, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, but see, in one episode, I was talking with a guest. I can't remember what term he used, but there is a term of a type of real, like let's say Catholics who say that wine is the blood of Christ. They don't think that it's literally the blood of Christ, but symbolically right. and in a religious sense, in a, in a mm -hmm. symbolic religious sense. So to them, this symbolizes the blood of Christ. Th thus, it is real to them, but not in a you know material objective way. Right. And I think isn't that referred to as, uh, as a transfiguration? Yes. Um, Okay. Yeah. So they, that's to me very different, but it's a concept I can wrap my head around. Yes, they understand in the moment, this is not the literal blood of Christ or the flesh of his body, but it, spiritually it is to them. So I get yes, that. Yes. I get that entirely. Yes. Uh, I wanted to go into that, but w when we're talking about Blake Smith and <laughs> Monster Talk, you'll hear in the episode, Blake Smith has throughout the years kind of shifted from this uh, reductionist materialist point of view. And he says this in the episode to kind of embracing more of the soft sciences and the cultural aspects of monsters. Yeah, I having listened to him for years now, I think I started in probably 2017. But listening to him, you know, early on, it was very much a skeptical, this is why this is wrong. This is why this doesn't exist. And, and I know in the last couple of years, they've had a lot more, like you said, social science people on the show. Yes. So I can see that he's moving that direction, which is good. I mean, it's always good to have those. And I don't want to, and I'm saying this because I don't ever want to disregard somebody's beliefs or the thing that they are coming to you with. And I'm glad that Blake is doing the same thing. Like he's, and I want to say he's humor 
humoring people or anything, but I think he's being a little a little more open to stuff, which is nice. Oh yeah, I think you'll love the episode when it comes out. But essentially, him, uh, myself, and Doctor Stolzno yeah. talked about the pros and cons of believing in monsters in today's world, and maybe how studying skeptically belief in monsters can open up discussion on culture and sociology, and how these myths form what they mean to people, and so on. So more of an emphasis on the soft sciences rather than hard sciences, which is something mm-hmm. that I gravitate towards as well. Coming from a hard sciences background. <laughs> right, right. You'd think as a biologist that I'd want monsters to be flesh and blood, but I don't because yeah. I know the biology. I know they're not flesh and blood things. So so what are they? We, they are what we already know them as, as folkloric constructs. So we should work with what we got. Well, you know, I was viewing that, looking at it through a religious angle, and you think about the flood myth. You know, that's something that's in every ancient culture in the world is a flood. You know, it, obviously it all derived from Gilgamesh, but the, the flood myth pops up in almost every culture out there. So there's these things that regardless of reality have insinuated themselves into society through mm-hmm. through just, just I guess, uh, uh, storytelling and, and passing on uh, your stories to your children and their children, the, the, the game of telephone. I can see all of these things, a Bigfoot showing up, a hairy man showing up in every culture because that's just a story that's told, you know, same. And it's evolved over time. I'm looking at my wall next to me. Anybody who's seen my Instagram would know that I have pictures of cryptids and everything on there from Mothman and, and Flatwoods and the Hopkinsville Goblins. Like I'm, I'm looking at these and I'm thinking, you know, these are all societal constructs, cultural constructs mm-hmm. uh, that I would love for there to have been a physical, tangible connection to. But my understanding of science doesn't allow for it. Why, why do you gravitate towards them being real, tangible things? Like for me, how it is, that, that's the most boring aspect. If this was a flesh and blood thing. <laughs> I think it's much a, a much more interesting aspect that there is something that is connecting every person on this planet psychologically, sociologically, and that we have been projecting the same images over and over throughout all cultures for millennia. That's more interesting than a smelly ape in the woods. Right. No, and I, I agree. You're talking like the, is it Carl Jung who had yeah, the, yeah. okay, yeah, so very Jungian philosophy. And I, I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to the idea of a shared consciousness. Uh, I'm attracted to the idea of thought forms, whether they're tulpas or egregores, as you informed me of earlier this year. And I find that almost a best, like a viable option if they can't be tangible things. Are they thought forms or thought constructs or you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with that. I don't know. It, there's a weird dichotomy there that I can't quite put my finger on, but it, it seems more reasonable. To, it seems more reasonable to me than, than let's say Bigfoot being an alien pet that was dropped off by flying saucers and travels around with orbs. You know, like that kind of thing seems mm-hmm. ridiculous while a group of people putting all their thought into something sees this Bigfoot as a thought form. Like I, I'm okay with that. I don't know why. It's weird. Yeah, but you see, I, I think me and you have kind of the same beliefs, the same views on these things, but approach it from different types of perspectives or use different terminology. So I think that's mm-hmm. where where we butt heads. And we've been butting heads with each other quite a lot in chats, especially with ultra terrestrials. So <laughs> I, I wanted to go into that. You have famously stated a few times on your show that you hate ultra terrestrials. So why is that? Well, it feels, you know, and I said this originally, it does, it does feel lazy because it's, you look at the Mothman and everything that happened around that from UFOs, Men in Black, the Mothman itself, disembodied voices on phones like all of those things are and i know you, uh, you're a fan of keel and i am too you know all of the, the keelian things that don't make sense 
Mm-hmm. So you've got to like lump it all together as one one overarching thing that's that's doing all of this. And ultra terrestrials just becomes the answer. Like it's Skinwalker Ranch. It's just oh, it's ultra terrestrials doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. It it to me it seemed too easy of an answer, and that's that's why I'm very dismissive of it. And I I try not to be dismissive, but I will in this respect, I guess. Okay, I actually agree with you. And though though okay. I have talked about tulpas <laughs> and ultra terrestrials a lot, you know, either on my show or Jordan's or whatever, I don't take that literally at all. I don't believe there's mm-hmm. a thing out there called an ultra-terrestrial, or that it's an interdimensional mm-hmm. being. I believe that ultra-terrestrial is a linguistic meme that we are using mm-hmm. to kind of, as a placeholder term, to refer to all of these things that may be interconnected. But for now, our understanding is, okay, we don't know what the fuck it is, let's call it something. And then we use a term that was not even invented by Keel, but rather by Ivan T. Sanderson. Oh, Sanderson, yeah. Yeah. And then Keel uh, appropriated that term to also use it as a placeholder. Keel did not think that ultra terrestrials were a thing or a species or whatever mm-hmm. it's just the fans who don't understand this stuff using that term to as you say kind of put everything in the same basket but never actually uh, explain what the heck does that mean <laughs> Right, right, right. I feel the same way about uh, people who are talking about interdimensionality or everything being an interdimensional species, whatever. Okay, explain what interdimensionality is and how it functions. Like, if you want to appropriate uh, pseudoscientific terms, then <laughs> spill the beans on the science behind it. Well, that, that, those types of people make so many assumptions and pure conjecture based on almost nothing. You know, they're, we'll keep going back to Bigfoot because that's the thing I, I have the most experience with like you have these footprints in the woods and then oh they disappeared for some reason that means they hopped through a portal or they were picked up by a ufo there's so much conjecture this was something that bugged the hell out of me like with ancient aliens if you ever watch that show there are so many presumptions and assumptions and just like ancient alien theorists believe x y or z they're making all of these logical leaps without the evidence there to make those logical leaps that's that's what frustrates me too yeah yeah I, i think what we are both frustrated by is people saying that something is A or B instead of something may associate or reminds me of. It's mm-hmm. Todd Purse told me about this the other day. So let's say instead of saying the sky is blue, you can say the sky to me looks like it is blue, which is much more accurate because the sky is not blue at all. It's mm-hmm. an optical illusion. <laughs> right. So I, I see discussion about ultra-terrestrials as kind of the same thing. Now, you know that Keel was not a fan of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. You know, no, I was going to say, I've only, I've only read Mothman Prophecies, so I don't know any of his okay. other work. So but I can't, even, even yeah. in the Mothman Prophecies, he uh, starts that book kind of bashing the ETH. So huh. he was using ultra-terrestrial as a kind of anti-term for extraterrestrial, you know? It's a placeholder, mm-hmm. but it is used to kind of combat the mainstream extraterrestrial term. It's like I interviewed recently somebody from the temple of, uh, Satanic Temple, okay. and you may know that they are essentially glorified atheists. They don't believe in, in Satan as a deity. They are right. appropriating Satan as a folkloric symbol because Satan as a term provokes Christians and they want to provoke mm-hmm. Christians and be adversaries to mainstream Christianity. So how do they do that? They appropriate the symbol of something that is an adversary of their enemy. So mm-hmm. with Kiel, ETHers were the enemy. So he said, okay, it's ultra terrestrial instead of extraterrestrial. That's how I see it. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, and, and speaking on the, the satanic temple, like I, I want to say I've unofficially joined one of huh. those somewhere, maybe the Tennessee, the Tennessee satanic temple. But yeah, like I love the fact that they're very humanist. All of their tenets are do, do what I will, as long as it harms no one else. You know, that's, yes. I love that. And it's, it's very welcoming and opening far more than uh, Christianity seems to be. Okay. Can we go into your uh, religious upbringing? So were you ever personally religious? Uh, yes. I think mine was fear-based though. I was in church every Sunday, at least through the age of 10. And to this day, my mother and my grandmother are still super religious. I was, so so for frame of reference, I'm, I'm 39. I turned 16 in 1999. And New Year's Eve, I had been you know indoctrinated in the church so much that I assumed that Jesus was coming back. New Year's Eve, 1999. Oh, so this was Y2K panic. Y2K, yeah. So you know, as, as that clock's counting down, I'm watching the TV and I almost expect as they're showing Jerusalem, you know, when they're, when I guess they're six, six, seven, eight hours ahead of where I was in the US. But as uh, you watch this and you expect clouds of flame to roll across the sky and, and Jesus and the four horsemen, you know, like that kind of thing is expected how I was raised in the church. So it, it's, it's very much a biblical literalism. My grandmother to this day still thinks that Noah's Ark actually, you know, happened. <laughs> so it, it's, it's hard to grow up in that. And mm-hmm. Now, as a an adult, look back on it, it, you know, it's it's it almost I'm almost at a loss for words at the, at the change. But, uh, you know, being raised religious, you believe in everything and you're gullible because I was super gullible. I would believe anything anybody told me. So ghosts and demons and you know, sea monsters, all of those things obviously existed along with God and Satan and angels. So that's that's really, you know, growing up, I believed in all of it. It was all real. It was a very terrifying way to, to grow up, I'll tell you that. Okay, and is the traumatic aspect of all this the fact that they indoctrinated you or the fact that you were kind of not strong enough to think for yourself in a way? I, yeah, that's that's what upsets me now. And having done a complete 180 where I believe nothing without some form of, of evidence. I look back on it almost with um, not necessarily shame, I guess, but you know, you, you think, man, you should have you should have known better uh, about all this stuff, or waste, or, or shouldn't have been so guilty, or felt you know this guilt without having done anything, just because that's how the, the Christian Church is. Like you sinned regardless of what you do, so mm-hmm. there's always that guilt, and it's a horrible way to grow up. And that's that's why you know our kids they believe what they believe. We don't force anything down their throats. They're open to try whatever. We don't insist that they be atheists or, or what have you. You know, we don't tell them not to go to church like you know they if they want to go to sunday school or something go for it i'm not going to stop you that's your thing but it's i don't know i feel like i'm rambling (laughs) no 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 this is perfect uh so i'm having you on because i don't care as i say about bigfoot being real or not i care what leads people to believe one way or the other Mm -hmm. and this makes a lot of sense for you because you're in love with Bigfoot, but you don't believe in it without any tangible evidence. Because do you maybe feel like if you believed in Bigfoot without solid scientific evidence in it, that you would feel guilty again of being fooled again into believing something? I, th- I think you landed on it. You're you're now my uh, armchair psychologist. But yes, <laughs> I, I think I think that's that's exactly right. Like I don't want to be fooled again. I don't want to assume that this picture of a head sticking out behind a tree in the woods is absolutely big foot without proof because I, I feel like I'd be embarrassed. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, w- I will admit I do have a bias, though. I am more apt to almost uncritically view evidence of Bigfoot than I am other things, although I'll come to my senses or my wife will point out, no, that's that's fake, honey. You know, it's like it, <laughs> I, I so I don't know. Yeah, but it's yeah, I think I, you're I, right. it's it's like when, when you have a crush and you don't see the bad sides of that person right. at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I still I, I'm seeing Bigfoot through uh, uh, rose tinted glasses right now, for sure. Huh. That, that, that's interesting. And I find it interesting how this I don't want to call it religious trauma because you don't even call it that as well. But I mean, it it is traumatic in a way. In such an early age, you were kind of shown that you need to be less gullible, more critical, and not allow others to kind of sway your perception of the of the world around you. So mm-hmm. you've you've picked quite the community to mingle in as somebody <laughs> who does not want to be fooled ever again in his life. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's strange, but yeah, I'm, I'm drawn I'm drawn to this, and I, I think a lot of that is just childhood influence. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 one of the first movies you remember watching is Ghostbusters, obviously you're going to be connected to that at the very least, ghosts. But I think that's like a, a gateway drug or gateway uh, spooky thing is ghosts. Then you move into everything else. So I, I think it does kind of harken back to to childhood, uh, maybe a yearning for <laughs> something other than what is tangible. The belief that you know Santa Claus. It's like believing in Santa Claus. Like that's something comforting. It, it, Santa as a almost deity-like figure. And the same goes for, for a Bigfoot or Hopkinsville Goblin. And I wanted to ask you, are there any kind of optimistic, positive feelings that you had while you were religious compared to now and that you maybe yearn for nostalgically? Um, from the religious side of things, no. Because it was purely fear-based. It was, you know, I don't want to do this because I'll go to hell. Uh, it's, you know, I don't want to do this because an angel might appear in my room and, you know, drive me insane. It was purely based around punishment for action. So I don't have any nostalgia for that. And sorry, were, were you Catholic or? No, it's, it's, it's more Protestant, but I'm, I feel like we went to a Methodist church. I've been to Southern Baptist. I've been to several churches, but they're all, um, I know Southern Baptist can be a little crazy, but like Methodist is a little more low key. You do get mm-hmm. standing and singing, but it's not necessarily firing brimstone, but no, no Catholicism. Okay. I ask if it's Catholicism because we know Catholicism is more mystically open, but also I I feel a lot of what you experienced was guilt and was this uh, fear of sin or whatever, Mm. and that's more prevalent in Catholicism. You're right. Yeah, there's that Catholic fear, (laughs) like Catholic fear and Jewish guilt. But yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot of that that transfers over even after Martin Luther did his thing. There's still a lot of fear and guilt. Like my my. mom's brother, my uncle, his wife and he are are even more religious than what I grew up in. And I remember because I had a differing opinion on something when I was a teenager. uh, My aunt, my uncle's wife told me that I was listening. It's because of the music I was listening to. And that's what gave me that differing opinion. Like it's that, and I always think about that. Like that's so closeted. It's, it's repressive. Mm -hmm. And you know, even, you know, a society like the Amish will allow a rumspringa for people to go and experience something and then come back if they decide to. But in this type of religious community, you toe the line or you're, there's almost exile. It's it's kind of bizarre. So I, I have no interaction with that uncle and his wife. <laughs> as a yeah, but, but it's also this idea that you will be punished for making choices when you are not psychologically and physically mature enough to make choices of your own. Right. Just because I was, you know, had a Rob 
Rob Zombie CD or something when I was a teenager doesn't mean that I'm the devil incarnate. But that's that's the thought process with a lot of the ultra religious. You know, it's all about what media they can what media is consumed or what their influences are, what TV shows they're watching. It's it's difficult growing up in that kind of environment. It's difficult living as an adult in a state that is very much in that mindset, you know, mm-hmm. it, I think right now they're trying to pass a bill that uh, makes it illegal to do drag shows entirely in Tennessee. So like they, they're afraid of the religious right is afraid of anything outside of the, you know, white heteronormative patriarchy <laughs> Yeah, to go down that, that rabbit hole. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm thinking after you, are you an atheist? Do you, do you consider yourself as such? I do. I, you know, I've kind of tried to soften it. Um, atheist does have a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. I do not believe, but I'm open to it. So I usually refer to myself as like a hopeful atheist. You want to believe. <laughs> right. And that's what it comes back to. Like I, I want to have faith in something and belief in something, but I can't because I have to have evidence or proof. You know, when you have evidence or proof that no longer requires faith, it, it's, it's a fine line to walk, I think, but mm-hmm. I am desperately jealous of people that believe. So if somebody swears up and down that they've got a ghost in their upstairs bedroom, like I, I'm so jealous. Why are you jealous if you're somebody who had this trauma because of your belief at the time? Well, that my jealousy comes from, let's say that person in that example, they're complete because it's tangible and it's real to them. They know that that ghost is in their bedroom. And that opens up so many possibilities at that point. It's if ghosts are real, then this may be real or that may be real. So it's it's almost a slippery slope of uh, first this, then that means all these other things. So it's it's really the, I think the uh, implications are what I'm jealous of. Okay, so p- people who believe in the paranormal per you have a more kind of open and w- wider scope of what reality is to them than say reductionist materialism. Yes, I, I would agree with that. But I think with that comes, it's, it's a double-edged sword because if you have that kind of belief, it also means you're you're more apt to believe in anything as long as it fits your model of the world. So, uh, you know, I think ghosts are real and I think Mothman was real and um, there's a skunk ape in Florida. And then there's a tendency for that person to go down a rabbit hole of just believing anything they hear at that point. Okay, but is it much safer to believe in cryptids than to believe in religious doctrine? I would say so. Um, there have not been wars waged on the behalf of uh, the Jersey Devil. <laughs> Actually, there was a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> oppression related to belief in the Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know the story of the Jersey Devil, the historic one of the Leeds Devil? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> may, may this may this child be a, a demon or a oh, devil? Um, I, I'm talking about the actual historical origin of the Jersey Devil. So it's a. Uh, it, was it a newspaper spat? Is that? It, it, so there were two rival families who were publishing almanacs at the time. Mm-hmm. And this one dude hated this other Leeds guy and then smeared his whole family with the story of the Leeds devil. That's what it was. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember the details. But yeah, and, and I and another fun fact is Napoleon's brother was yes. a, a, yes. a witness to, to seeing the Jersey devil, which is just so that's so crazy. <laughs> that's a good example. Like uh, that's a, a fabricated story that now there are w- uh, sightings attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that goes back to your thought forms or or like you you said egregores like a and I, and I like I almost like that I like the idea of everybody putting all of their their thoughts towards something being real and then it coming from that yeah but it's also much much more complex like what people are seeing as the Jersey Devil now may not be the Jersey Devil maybe something completely
completely different or various different other phenomena, but they are attributing it to the Jersey Devil because it is a piece of folklore that is present in the consciousness. Right, right. So it's not technically that somebody is summoning an egregore of the Jersey Devil, but rather when I say egregore, like I don't know what, what an egregore is or how it's formed. Like I don't know nothing about magic, man. But <laughs> I, I use the term as Keel used ultra terrestrial as a placeholder yeah. for this idea I have of an entity that exists as a concept within a collective unconsciousness, like mm. living folklore. And then that living folklore latches on to whatever else. Somebody can see a weird animal in the woods and attribute it to this piece of folklore that exists in the consciousness. Right. It's it's uh, misattribution in a way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. But like... When I asked you, is belief in cryptids much safer than belief in religion? I'm trying to piece together why you are so attracted to cryptids, to the paranormal, and why you love them so much and why you want to believe. Do you feel it is a much more safer form of belief? And maybe if you believe in them without solid evidence and are proven wrong, are you less of a failure then? Because it's cryptids and who cares? Yeah, right. Yeah, that that could be the case. It, it, it's it does act almost as a, a religion for for some people. They have as much fervor over defending what they believe to be real as as any as if you told someone in church that God isn't real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure beyond the fact that it is so like uh, the the 14 community and all of the cryptids and ghosts and monsters and all that. It's it's attractive to me just because it doesn't make. I guess it doesn't make physical sense, doesn't make rational sense. It's something intangible or or the implications of their existence are so ground it, it, it expands my worldview if this were real. And I like that that thought, I guess, think thinking about that in regards to like uh, let me let me just point out, yeah, like Hopkinsville goblins. If that were real, does that mean, oh, we've we've got these goblins in the Mammoth Cave and they're in the cave systems in Kentucky and Tennessee and oh, oh all, all the other things that come with that. If a ghost is real that implies there is life after death in some form. If you believe that a ghost is the spirit of a dead person rather than something else. Right. And that's, again, that's an, uh, another shrug, you know, like uh, there's so many things that people will say a ghost is, whether it's time slip or residual haunting or it's stone tape theory where it's just recorded the environment and played back for some reason. Like there, there's so many different things that ghosts are said to be. And some of, some of the implications can be a bit horrific, but you know, it's just, it is fascinating. And that, that's really where it comes. I'm fascinated by this. I'm sitting in my office, what I call my office, which was our guest bedroom until uh, I got an office job. But um, I have bookshelves lining these walls and a solid eight feet of them are paranormal books. Like I've got sections on ghosts and UFOs and cryptids. And I've got a book from Karen Stolsnow, who you had on. You know, mm-hmm. I've got I've got so much of this stuff here because it is fascinating. I think that's really what it might come down to for me. Okay, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what do you find more terrifying as an implication? The implications of the reality of cryptids or of the reality of God? More horrifying. Mm-hmm. Cryptids or God? Um, depends on what God we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like if we're talking about the the Christian biblical God as he's written, that to me is almost more horrifying because speaking a little, probably more candid than I should, the Christian God's kind of a dick. Like that's, that's worrisome to me. I'd rather there be monsters out there, frankly. Huh. 
And I'm asking you because I do feel that cryptids to you symbolize this kind of possibility of belief without some grandiose, uh, terrifying implications or without a huge failure on your part for believing <laughs> in them or uh, without any danger per se. So it's like cryptids to you are, you know, those, those uh, slides or fun houses for children that are inflatable and then they can just yes. hop around and never get hurt in them. Right. Yeah, the, I, that you're, you're right. This is something that there's zero um, negative outcome for me on a personal level huh. for their yeah like if if it's real fine if it's not fine but if if I were gambling on a religion if it's real and I was a believer and I, I followed the tenets of the religion that means I have an afterlife to go to if it's not real I just I'm dead like there's no there's no negative if it's not real if it's real there could be a negative where I go to that religion's uh hell so to speak do you feel that you gravitate towards cryptids and the paranormal like that this whole stuff attracts you as a result of you growing up in a religious household like if you like myself grew up atheist all your life hmm. would you be interested in all this paranormal stuff I, I don't think I would. I think I would scoff at it and think it was childish or silly. I would be absolutely dismissive, most likely. That's just me. That's my hip, you know, reaction in the moment. Uh, if I had put more thought to it, maybe it'd be different, but I, I feel like I would be dismissive of it. Yeah, because you, you see, the more I talk with people and the more I listen to these topics being brought up, let's say on Todd's show and other shows mm. where uh, guests are interviewed who grew up in religious households and then abandoned the religion. And then now all of a sudden they are attracted to the paranormal cryptids to all this stuff it's like growing up religious provides you the sense of comfort and community in believing in something and then when you become atheist as somebody who re rejects their prior religion you still have this need inside of you that needs to be filled so you fill it with the cryptid community. I, I think a lot of people in this community are attracted to the community because they have this, sense, uh, this need for belonging, but not within an oppressive religious setting. Right. And, you know, my experience with everybody in, in this community, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or what have you, the people who are involved in this on a, what feels like a higher percentage than the average population are really nice people. They're very friendly. They want to help others. Like it's it, it is very much now that you pointed out kind of like that support group you have through church and your church community. Like you you have anybody who you could ask for help if you need it or they would volunteer it because of the community you're in. Like I, I've you know sent money to people that I know through nothing but Facebook because they had something going on in their life that they needed assistance. Like that's, it's the same thing with church. So yeah, I think you're right. Like you've got a community built in to support you uh, when you need it. Very interesting because my original idea for this episode was to talk with you about community building. Yeah. And it's cool that we went to this topic now. I really do believe that as you say, religion provides you this community, but then you need to adhere to the rules of the religion, which means that say in most Christian, you know, religions, people, who are from the LGBT community cannot participate in the community and are oppressed and a plethora of other people for various different reasons. But what this community provides is that same sense of belonging and community and helping each other without the, the negative connotations and without the oppression that religion provides. 
So there are no rules that you need to adhere to. Right. And that's, you, you pointed out something that I was very proud of in the communities that I, that I have worked in and, and tried to help build on Facebook, mostly Facebook and Instagram a little bit, but we look out for each other. Like if there's somebody who's in the environment who has toxicity, regardless of the topic, people will swoop in and shut them down because everybody in our groups, in our community, we, we protect like family and we won't let that negativity influence them or cause harm. So that, that's something I'm very proud of, uh, the people I know and, and how much they care about the other people in this group or in this community. Uh, do you generally feel that you belong in this community even though you are a skeptic? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like I belong because I've never been, uh, I, I can't say never, but I've never been an antagonistic personality when it comes to people's beliefs. I, I try to be respectful and not even tell them they should question what they're thinking because I think that's a bit, uh, that's that's dismissive. That That's the edgy uh, atheist teenager. That's what they would, mm -hmm. and that's not what I want to do. I don't want to shut people down or make them feel like they can't share what they think. I may entirely disagree with them and most of the time I typically do, but I'm never going to say you're wrong and here's why. It, it's a lot of it is diplomacy, and I think that's that's what I try to do, and I and because I respect the community, so really that that's what it is. Also, um, I am somebody who covers all of these topics, like not just cryptids, but also the paranormal side, also ufology, you know. So I mm -hmm. dabble in all all these different communities, and what I've seen is, let's say the Uf ufology community, they are more like true believer oriented than what I see with the cryptid community. Mm -hmm. In the ufology community, you will have much more aggression being centered towards skeptics as debunkers. Yeah. But in the cryptid community, skeptics are embraced because cryptozoology is kind of in this liminal space between true believer and hard skeptic because mm -hmm. it in itself is trying to reduce monsters to potentially undiscovered animals, you know? Yeah. So something that, that meets halfway between the two worlds. Well, the cryptids on the whole, like there, there are in their ranks admitted fake cryptids. Like it, that's, that's not something you find in the UFO community. Like you've got, you know, lumberjack stories of the hodag and, and other things like that. Like the slide rock bolter out in Colorado, like those things obviously don't exist, uh -huh. but it's part of it because that's, that's how people in the cryptic community really exist is, is they talk about all of it, regardless of whether or not they believe it's real in the UFO community. It's more like a religion. It is very, yes. a, it, it is a binary. We're right. You're wrong. There's no in the middle. Very interesting. Very interesting yeah. <laughs> because uh, th this group of uh, people who are neither skeptics nor believers in the UFO community, who I interact with call themselves the excluded middle because the middle ground is always excluded in the UFO community, but in <laughs> the cryptic community, Community, the middle ground is the norm. So I'm thinking if these same people were interested in cryptids rather than UFOs, would they be more happier in their lives and more embraced? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, they they need something for sure. But you know, I, I that's where I don't um, you know I don't limit myself to any one community. Like I love cryptids, I love ghosts, I love UFOs. I anything weird, I tend to gravitate toward it. So I I don't try to stay in one lane with this. But people who are in the UFO community and that's what they're there for they are very much hardline aliens are real and there are physical ships and you know they're traveling across interstellar space and then you get if you've got people like who go all over the place they'll say oh it might be interdimensional or it might be humans from the future so you get you get some difference there yeah but also one thing i see in the ufo community is that conspiratorial thinking is uh, much more prevalent than in the cryptic community oh yes 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 you've touched on something that bothers me to no end so in the ufo community with conspiracy they're 
tends to be a lot of, for lack of a better phrase, right-wing conspiracy theories. You've got people like David Icke with his reptilian theory that they're you know, reptile, reptile aliens controlling the British monarchy, the US government, and so on. Like that's at the heart of it, a conspiracy that is very anti-Semitic from my understanding. So you've got this tie with UFO culture and right-wing hate speech in a way, or anti-Semitism, white nationalism sometimes. It's unsettling how many people go down that rabbit hole of ghosts are real, then UFOs are real, cryptids are real. Oh, this means Bush did 9-11, yada, yada, yada. Like all of those conspiracy theories that are dangerous and not just for funsies like Bigfoot. That's That concerns me a lot. And actually, I did hear that there are people who have conspiracy theories over Bigfoot. Okay. Uh, that, that, that the CIA is hiding Bigfoot and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. I, there's the belief that the government knows Bigfoot exists and is covering it up for some reason, some nefarious reason. Yeah. And I... It hasn't quite gotten to crazy levels in the Bigfoot community, but it's there. Because if for in order for a physical North American wood ape to exist, you'd have to have some sort of government awareness at some level. But then it becomes a conspiracy. Then why hasn't the government told us they exist? So yeah, it's this whole crazy rabbit hole. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what, why Bigfoot, man. <laughs> uh, I you know I, I always say I'm in the physical. Bigfoot camp. And I think that's, that's really why I've latched onto it because it, out of all of the stuff I've been exposed to over the years, Bigfoot seems the most likely for there to be a physical extant hairy ape in the North American woods. Like that, that seems the most likely of everything. And I think that's why I've gravitated toward it. And also, you know, when I was six, I got a copy of Harry and the Hendersons for Christmas. So that's another big influence on me. I have noticed that a lot of people in your age group uh, grew up watching, let's say, In Search Of or Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. And that's why they kind of revitalize their interests now in the paranormal in, in today's times. But also like Harry and the Hendersons had a huge impact on on kind of swaying public interest back to Bigfoot, maybe even more than the Patterson-Gimlin footage. Oh, I, I think it did. Absolutely. Like I, there's been a, a huge resurgence in the Patterson-Gimlin film and its popularity in the recent years. But, you know, Harry and the Hendersons, that's been influential since it was released uh, 30, almost 34 years ago. You know, Patterson and Gimlin and fell out of the limelight. There was the allegations of hoaxing and questionable things and Bob Hieronymus and all of that. So it didn't have the cultural impact for a long time, I think. Yeah, but but see, like you need this movie, this family movie to spark an emotional reaction in people. And then they uncover, oh, there's this thing, Patterson Gimlin, because now they're looking for evidence that they can latch onto to keep this positive emotion that they feel as a result of the movie. So yeah, it's like yeah. the Patterson-Gimlin footage only works to inspire people to look for Bigfoot in combination with uh, the Harry Ender and the Hendersons movie. Yeah, because uh, if Patterson-Gimlin is real, then that gives you hope that there is a giant friendly wood ape that you could potentially hang out with like they do in the movie. Like it's yeah. Like it, it's uh people try to find the evidence that fits their narrative. It, it's like for, for the Patterson Gillen footage to even matter to somebody, they already need to have the needs to search for a friendly Bigfoot out there and to have that need, they require this movie. So I find that very interesting. Like it's not that the Patterson Gillen footage on its own uh, sparked this public interest in Bigfoot, but rather as a result of it exists, already out there when this other movie came out. 
Mm. Well, I think along the same lines, you've had a resurgence with my generation too in ghost hunting. So you have people who were raised on Ghostbusters as as an influence. So I could I could see that being a connection too. Those things that we were raised with in childhood, and that's that's why Stranger Things is popular now because the kids who were kids in the eighties are now the ones consuming this media. Mm -hmm. So that's that's absolutely factoring in. And I'd say the same for the UFO subject with uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's something that that I often hear when talking. with UFO people. Yeah, absolutely influential. And then you had, I guess going into the 80s, The Thing was another one I think that was really influential. You've got your alien movies, yeah, Predator as well. So all of those things. And, and you you might have mentioned this on your show before. Uh, Jalen Hynek's son worked on Predator as a special effects person. I actually didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah, I think his name's Paul. Yes, but Paul Hynek. He was the one who helped uh, come up with a design for The Predator. Oh, wow. That's interesting. There's conspiracy theories around that too. <laughs> So like, obviously, J. Allen Hynek showed his son a picture of what became the Predator. It's crazy. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, lots of red string, lots of walls with tons of pictures and uh, trying to I tie mean, everything together. <laughs> there are so many conspiracies that tie all of these movies with some plots to do psyop work, essentially. Uh, that could be a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, I, but I do find it interesting how these groundbreaking movies kind of resurface public interest in these things. And maybe these the maybe Bigfoot without uh, Harry and the Hendersons would never even be as popular as it is now. Mm-hmm. Well, that that makes me think too. And I talked to Rob Christofferson about this, like Whitley Strieber's communion, that image on the cover of his book was mm-hmm. so influential that that's all people saw going forward were those little gray aliens. Oh, yes. And I think it's very uh, interesting that we're talking about influential things. We're not talking about things that are origins of a certain image or phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Whitney, Whitley Strieber cover, it solidified the image of the gray alien in the public consciousness. But the image of the gray alien existed even decades before that book. Mm -hmm. It was already out there, but nobody cared about it. People only cared about uh, after being exposed to Whitley's book, just as people cared about the Patterson-Gimlin footage after Harry and the Hendersons. (laughs) So interesting how complex all of this is and how Mm -hmm. many layers you need of these things that, that interact with each other in order to trigger an emotional reaction in people that solidifies into this whole pop cultural phenomenon. Yeah, you could have an entire college class based on modern supernatural theories or, or beliefs connected to the media of past decades just to tie it all together. It'd be fascinating. Yeah. Okay, mm. man. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to cut this out. Uh, I don't know what's with me today. It's all good. Uh, no worries. I'm just so so tired, man. I'm in, in the span of five, six days, I am recording six episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I, uh, I couldn't couldn't stomach that. I mean, I'm I'm cutting all of this out, or maybe I don't even cut it out. But um, <laughs> the the magic of editing, like I can be as awkward as I want uh, on these interviews. I can mumble and whatever, and with editing, I can make a perfect episode out of it, out of any garbage recording. <laughs> it's it's reassuring on my part. So thank you for that. So. No, no, you you were you were great today. Uh. Yeah. Well, I'm never quite sure. That's the thing. Since I, I don't plan anything, I don't come with notes. It's all in it's everything in my head. And just I always am concerned that I'm not making those connections. Like in my mind, I've got an A to B connection, but I'm not sure I'm vocalizing that appropriately. But, yeah. Mm, good, good to know I, I make sense in some form of fashion. So actually, for the end, I wanted to ask you this, maybe going to this. Uh, you started off as one of the many moderators of the Kryptonaut Facebook group. 
before you started your own podcast. So right. what got you guys to start a podcast and especially a podcast with five hosts? Yeah, that's been a bit cumbersome, but it, it seems to work out. But no, like the five of us were all part of this community, the, the Kryptonaut group. And we had concerns or, or complaints or issues with a lot of the paranormal podcasts out there where there wasn't necessarily a necessary skeptical bent. So that was one facet of wanting to do our own show. The other one is we wanted to support the community. So we've we've had all of the creative people we know um, that we want to support either with ads through the show or we promote their stuff on Facebook or we have them come on as guests. So there was there were multiple reasons we wanted to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I'd like to think we've been successful in kind of what we started out to do. But yeah, it's it's really about, for me, getting that skeptical viewpoint out, but also being respectful and encouraging growth in the community and supporting what is there, really. that That's what we're doing. Yeah, because w- when your podcast came out first, I, I think I listened to the first episode when it came out because I actually did an episode with Cole and he told me like uh, his appearance on my show is the second appearance ever he made that he guessed it on your guys' show, but yeah. your show did not come out at the time. And then you guys lost your recording with him and then needed to re-record with him and so on. <laughs> so I, I was like, uh, subscribed to your show before you guys had any episode. And then it came out and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out wh- what is happening because this is a show with five people. And I was yeah. not a part of the Kryptonaut uh, Facebook group. So I did not know this is a project from a Facebook group of the administrators. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that we were necessarily all that clear upfront about it. Oh, well, over time, I, I got used to it. And I was, th- I'm thinking and thinking like over time, you guys are getting much better and better and actually more clearly putting it out there what you're trying to do with the podcast. The podcast is community building. It's like the Facebook group, but in podcast form. I'm, I'm glad that that's how it comes across. Yeah, it's it's never supposed to be anything other than fun. This is we're talking about weird shit. We have to be enjoying ourselves. We can't take ourselves seriously. So, you know, have levity, not necessarily be out there to be funny. Like that's not necessarily my end goal. Sometimes it happens that I can be funny uh, (laughs) here and there, but the goal is not to make someone laugh, but to kind of bring them into the conversation. Uh, I don't recall who it may, it may have been Jordan that said it it seemed like what we're doing is just friends getting together and talking about stuff. And that's how it comes across. So I hope, I hope that's how it feels because that's how we want it to feel. Well, actually throughout these months, you guys have (laughs) inspired me um, because my podcast was not about having guests every single episode, but now it is Mm -hmm. because I listen to you guys, the, the creeps with peeps. Yeah. And like every episode is just you guys are chatting with another creator in this weirdo community. And I'm thinking like I have been so stressed out trying to figure out what my own podcast is and what I want it to be. Yeah. When I can just sit down and chat with somebody just like I'm doing now with you and put it out there. Well, that, that's what I like about what you do and, and what Jordan and Ryan at Campfire do. Like they have these informal chats with people and it's not about necessarily any one thing. It's just having a conversation. And I think that's a lot more engaging than someone sitting down and going through, you know, just a basic interview process. Like where, where were you raised? Uh, what'd you do mm-hmm. as a kid? What kind of jobs have you had? You know, like that kind of stuff is boring yeah. to me. Yeah. But if you're having an actual engaged conversation, I don't care what you're talking about as long as you're enthused about it. Like I'll, I'll pick up on your energy and, and ride that. So I'm, 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 I'm here for it. I love these conversations you guys have. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because I, you know, when I started podcasting, it's, it's the sense of you need to stick to a formula, to a structure. If you're having this guest on, you need to talk with them about this certain topic and it's so yeah. stressful. And then I hear you guys doing whatever the fuck you guys want to do. <laughs> Just sit down and chat with somebody and like, who cares? I listen to it. I enjoy it. And yeah, I'm thinking, 
why can't I do the same thing? You know, <laughs> so in a way, you guys started off your podcast also trying to figure out what you guys want to do. Yep. And you're putting it out there now. What you are doing is community building and just doing whatever the fuck you want. And you don't care about structure too much. That's and correct. That, that then shows me that this is possible and that I'm not the only one who would have a show like that and that it's totally okay. It absolutely is. Like, yeah, I like in my personal life, I've told the kids like I don't adhere to gender stereotypes. I might have some nail polish or something on one of my fingers. Like, I don't care about that because that's what I aim to do in life. And now in, in podcasting, we're doing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, We don't care about preconceived notions of what a podcast should be. Here's what we want to do. You know, we might not like I might not be on an episode four episodes in a row, but then I'll come back and do something like it. None of this is tied down to a formula. Yeah. And I don't I don't want it to be tied down to a formula. Not at all. Also, I need to say that I stole quite a lot of your uh, guests. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for it. That's that's part of this. I, I heard uh, Luke Greensmith on your show with, uh, yeah. I think, Tonya had him on. And after listening to that, I, I never heard of Luke or Luke Lore before. And I'm like, hell yeah, I need this guy on my show. I had him twice on my show. I had him do a horror podcast with my friend. Oh, nice. And that's the community building aspect I'm talking about because because you guys had him on your show. I had him on mine twice. I'm going to have him a third time. There we go. And then I am passing him on to my horror podcast buddy and so on and so on. So you guys are sparking this chain reaction where guests are being circulated between podcasts. No, I love that. You know, like that's one of the reasons we want Cole involved because Cole has this wealth of knowledge that we need to get out there. So, you know, let's, let's have Cole on. Okay, cool. He's going to be on other podcasts now. He's getting all of his stuff out there. And I love that. I yes. love that for him. Like, I think it's great. And, and I love that Luke is all over stuff too, because Luke is, is fantastic as well. Yes. And speaking of Cole, like we're recording now, uh, what is it? The 10th of December. Mm-hmm. Who knows when this will be out? Oh man. But uh, this, this Monday, uh, my, my show's episode will be, will be with Cole. And then again on the 22nd, another episode with Cole. <laughs> Nice, nice, nice. No, you can do back to back. That's fine. Don't oh, don't yeah. base it up. And, and now Cole is going to be my regular, so uh, it will be conflicts of interests. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I love it. Get get people like you and Cole who have so much information, knowledge, perspective, and opinion, and you, you just put it out there. And that's what I love. That's what I love hearing. Like whether or not I be- I believe the same thing or agree with you, I love hearing it. Oh man! So myself and Cole are completely to opposites when it comes to that. Like. We do not agree at all in what we believe these things are. Mm-hmm. But Oh yeah, Con- conflict makes for good recording. <laughs> but th- the thing is, when I wanted my show to be something, nothing was working. And I-, I told you before recording, like the moment I stopped thinking what I wanted to be and allowed it to be what it needs to be, everything started mm-hmm. falling into place. And then I-, I told Cole, like, dude, I know we butt heads with each other on our own ideas on what these things are because Cole does not like any of the Keelian stuff that I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Like Cole seems like me. He's a, a flesh and blood guy. Yes. What yes. I can, what I can tell. But the thing is, that's not the point. The point is people sharing these ideas. Uh, that's something that your podcast conveys. And it took me to listen to your podcast and to hear how it's perfectly okay mm-hmm. to, for, for me to kind of, I don't want to say shed away the ego, but rather shed away my preconceived notions on what needs to be instead of allowing what needs to be to happen on its own organically. So, hey, I want Cole on millions of episodes on my own, even though.
how we butt heads <laughs> around <laughs> what these things are because right. the the important part is sharing these ideas, spreading the word, and and providing it to the public, and also like inspiring other people and allowing other people to hear voices that they would not otherwise hear because yep. everybody wants to listen to celebrities in the field, but like myself, Cole, you guys, we're just normal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what I love too is you get some people in the community that might have an ego about it. And I try not to have an ego. Yes, I might be cocky or I, I joke a little condescendingly sometimes, but I don't, I try not to have an ego. And there's too much of that with certain, certain podcasts and I'm, I'm not naming names or anything, but with us and you and, and Cole and, and Luke and the guys at the Ghost Story guys, like all, all of these groups and, and Jordan, you know, all of these groups, we're all in this together and we all want everyone else to be successful. And there's never worrying about someone sealing the limelight, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a positive note to end on, man. So Absolutely. we've been talking about your podcast a lot. Can you tell my listeners what podcasts we're referring to and where they can find you? Yeah, yeah. Um, we are on all podcatchers, as far as I'm aware. Uh, the podcast name is Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilry. We have a uh, Facebook group, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, probably other stuff. Uh, we have a Redbubble store. You can buy t-shirts with uh, artwork. We have artwork coming from um, Lisa Russell of Cryptic Comforts. We have some stuff from Todd Purse uh, coming as well. So we'll have new artwork on there soon. Uh, we have other fabulous artists working on stuff. Uh, and I have, I'm blanking on who did what. So we'll mention them another time. But yeah, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a Redbubble store, so look at that stuff. But yeah, you can find us. You Google us or you Facebook us, whatever. We're- I will actually link everything in the episode description. And speaking of Lisa Russell of Cryptid Comforts, I stole her from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have her soon talking about the squonk. Yeah. Lisa's great. She's, she's one of those people that she, she, and I think, and I'll, I'll name somebody else, uh, Corey and Renee Seymour from uh, Seymour's captive cryptids. Like there were, they were the two initially that we wanted to promote because they're out there doing that community building that we want to support. And, and they have businesses that also support the cryptic community. So yeah, anybody out there, go, go get some stuff from Lisa. It's cryptid comforts and everybody go buy some masks and little stuff from uh, Renee and Corey Seymour at ca- Seymour's captive cryptids they're amazing okay i will link those in the episode description as well (laughs) see see you fell for it you got to do that now uh this whole episode is turning out to be a giant ad just as the format of your own show (laughs) pretty much yeah let's just promote other things that's that's fine uh, well, thank you, man, for uh, sitting down and chatting with me and be- being open, especially to share this. Uh, uh, like, not a lot of people want to share their own beliefs and what what sends them down roads to be interested in this stuff, and especially if it's related to childhood religious trauma in a way. But um, right. I'm always thankful for everyone who is willing to just sit down, share this stuff, because I do get comments from a lot of people after every episode I do where the guest openly expresses these issues, mm-hmm. how they resonated with them. So it really does help people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm here for it. So if you want to do this again sometime, let me know. I'm, I'm down anytime. No problem, man. So listeners, check out all the links in the episode description. And until next time, uh, see you. See you later. <laughs> all right. See you.